I want to jump into scripture. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, right at the end, 57 on. And then going into 10, verses 1 through 7. Okay? And it is an incredible passage. Your notes will say unstoppable on there. And the reason that word kind of came to mind was because I think we see here in Jesus' sending of the 72, some principles that lead to unstoppable ministry. And this isn't the only time that Jesus gave these exact principles. We see these exact same things in Matthew 10, incredibly. And those are two separate instances. We'll explain that further in a minute. But the reality here is Jesus is giving those that he sent out some principles for effective ministry. And I believe that we can implement these in the ministry that he's called us to on a, on a daily basis. So as we begin, uh, I want to ask, have any of you ever played baseball or softball? Anything like that? Okay, I loved baseball growing up. In fact, my dream was to be a major league baseball player, but um, I wasn't good enough to be one. <laughs> and uh, I often struck out <laughs> or hit a double, double plays, things like that. But uh, striking out was so embarrassing, I thought. Uh, and I would sit there, man, when it got to two strikes, it was guaranteed I was going to strike out. I mean, I just, I would psych myself out. There's no way I'm going to get a hit on this third strike, right? And it was so embarrassing to strike out. And to even to know it's coming, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, oh, I just failed, right? Maybe you've been there in baseball, maybe you've been there in life. A lot of us have. A lot of us maybe have, have had that kind of strikeout experience in sharing our faith. Or maybe there's been an opportunity around us and we just didn't take advantage of it. And it leaves us feeling pretty bad, right? Kind of miserable. Well, I want to give you some, some great, great principles that we see in Jesus' sending of the 72 that I think will equip you to not strike out, right? And uh, I think this is going to be really good. So you can turn there, but we're going to start reading in just a minute. Uh, I want to tell you a, a little bit of a story of somebody that's striking out a lot this year as we, as we get ready to, to get into Scripture. How many of you have heard of the Baltimore uh, Orioles superstar Chris Davis? Any of you? A couple of years ago, two years ago, he signed the biggest contract in Orioles history, $161 million, okay? This is insane. This is $140,000 a game or $50,000 an hour. <laughs> That's a lot of money, right? Okay, this year the poor guy is on par to have the worst record, the worst season in Major League Baseball history. <laughs> that, that's got to feel miserable, right? And uh, so as miserable as I felt like striking out in the Little Leagues, I can't imagine what this guy feels striking out knowing that he's getting paid $50,000 an hour not to strike out. <laughs> okay? And I don't want to just uh, rag on him, right? Because probably a lot of us feel like this. We've been saved. The God of the universe came and gave his life so that we could be forgiven. He's guaranteed us eternal life. He's called us to an abundant life. He's called us to fruitful ministry, and he's promised that if we abide in him, he will produce fruit through us. On top of it all, he gave us his Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit that, that has the power to raise the dead, and anything that, uh, that you've imagined was too difficult for you, he has the power to do that, okay? And he's in you, and he's able every day to do what you can't do through you. Many of us are right there, yet we're still striking out. I, I just got to say, we're making more than $50,000 an hour in a spiritual sense, right? But a lot of times we have kind of the same thing happening. And um, I don't want to leave you hanging here. 
Chris Davis is a Christian. Okay, so maybe he's striking out in uh, in baseball, but not in his uh, spiritual walk. Here's what he says. My faith in God shapes every decision I make and serves as the foundation of my life. He is at the center of all my relationships, goals and struggles and successes. God determines how I manage and disperse his money. Isn't that a great perspective? Right. It's not his. It's his. My time. And he is my driving force at all times. So uh, whatever is happening in his baseball season, he's not striking out in his spiritual life. And I kind of want to come back to this today because I believe that we can learn these principles to, to, to stay on track in all that God has called us to. And make no mistake about it, you're called to fruitful work, okay? Ephesians 2.10 tells you that if you've been saved, if you've believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that's verses 8 through 9, then it says in 10, you're his masterpiece, and that you're created in him for good works, which he planned beforehand that you should walk in them. So you're created for fruitful ministry that only he can do through you. And I believe that he in you is able to make that happen. So as we look at these next verses, look for these three principles, and we'll highlight them as we go through. First, we need to get rid of the obstacles to what God has called us to. That'll be in your notes. Get rid of the obstacles to what God has called us to. Uh, Right as Jesus prepares to send out the 72, several people come to him, and they highlight numerous legitimate obstacles. And Jesus says, those should not stand in the way of what I've called you to. Uh, Next is get excited about the work that God has called you to. Okay? God has called you to be a part of what he's doing, and that's exciting. I I got a haircut a couple months ago, and I was sharing with my barber about the Lord. She seemed very interested. Next month, we came back. uh, I got another haircut. She was even more interested, right? My family took her out to lunch. And uh, this sweet young lady made the decision to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord right there with all the kids and with Aaron. And uh, it was very special. uh, Side note, Aaron would love to be here, but my son demanded that they have a mommy-son date this weekend. So uh, they're in Albuquerque enjoying the weekend together. But uh, anyway, this this young lady put her trust in Christ, right? Uh, About three days ago, I got another haircut from her. Guess what? She's talking to her boyfriend now about Jesus. And he has obstacles in his past. He didn't think God could forgive him. I walked her through some scripture how, yes, God can forgive your boyfriend. Do you know how exciting it is to be a part of what God's doing in that lady's life, in her, in her boyfriend's life? It's very exciting. I'm just encouraging you, the things that God is doing around you and that he's placed you in situations to be a part of, that's exciting stuff, okay? That's very exciting stuff. So get excited about it. And then finally, the third main point we're going to look at is get to work doing what God has called you to. And uh, we'll see that in Jesus' uh, sending of the 72 here. So let's turn to Luke 9:57, And we're going to look briefly at getting rid of the obstacles to what God has called us to. And uh, the background to this, Jesus in verses 51 through 56 had just been in a Samaritan village, Right? And he'd done the same thing that he he begins in Luke 10. He'd sent people ahead of him to preach before he got there. And the Samaritans didn't accept them, rejected them, ridiculed them. It was a hard time in Samaria. And even the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, they wanted to call fire down from heaven on this poor little village. (laughs) Right? And Jesus says no. He has compassion on these people. Right? He loves them in spite of their uh, opposition and, and their rejection of the message. And we see, though, that coming right out of some hard time in ministry, we pick up in Luke 9, 57, okay? 
as they walked along, you can read it on the screen in uh, the NIV if you want. It says, as they walked along, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, So Jesus is letting this guy know straight up that things that are, 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 are actual real needs, like a home, like food, things like that, shouldn't come between him and us. Do you get what I'm saying? So a point here is uh, we shouldn't let life requirements stop us from the work that God has called us to. And I don't want to be over-spiritual here because we have life requirements. You've got to eat. You need a place to, to sleep, right? But at the same time, I think it's easy to let those things come between us and what God has called us to. Uh, we all need shelter and sustenance, but those needs shouldn't keep us from his will. You remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. He talks about those things, our clothing, uh, our, our, our needs, our food. And he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? So uh, an encouragement that I want to make is not to let life requirements get between you and what the Lord is calling you to. Be faithful. Meet those needs. You, you need to be faithful in life. But at the same time, don't let those become an excuse for inaction. And I've seen that plenty of times. People that want to do ministry, but I can't because X, Y, and Z. And they start putting those things between themselves and what God has called them to. So seek first his kingdom. Trust him to provide for your needs. I'll tell you in a minute, but uh, he's done this for us. And I've seen him do this for many others as well. Okay, uh, Luke nine fifty nine through 60 says, uh, Jesus says uh, to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, This is uh, a legitimate responsibility that this guy had. So don't let legitimate responsibilities stop you from the work that God has for you. This was culturally something that they were required to do, to bury their parents. And most scholars believe the dad wasn't yet dead. So this guy was saying, let me go and wait till he dies and then bury him, if that makes sense. And this was not unreasonable. I know some people have said this is how uh, the young man would have received his inheritance. So maybe he was financially driven in this decision. Maybe that was the case, maybe not. But surely this was a social and cultural expectation. This was something that was a legitimate responsibility. You don't leave your parents in that situation without being there for them at that time. Does that make sense? And Jesus says actually quite differently. He says... um, Follow me. Don't put that legitimate responsibility between me, between you and what God has called you to. Does that make sense? I think we're all called to follow him and to trust him. Again, we need to be faithful with legitimate responsibilities. Don't just drop people. But with him as our focus, right? With the Lord as our direction, with the Lord as our focus, we're not letting anything get between us and him. We're following him. We're in lockstep with him. We're trusting him with our needs. We're trusting him with our responsibilities. All those things are absolutely critical. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, it says, Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. Uh, we don't need to neglect the responsibilities that God's put around us. right? 1 Timothy 5, 8 um, talks about 
those that don't provide for the needs of their family, right, being worse than an infidel, worse than a, a non-believer. So I'm not saying to just uh, neglect the responsibilities that we have. But in your responsibilities, don't let those be an excuse to not follow what the Lord has called you to. And somehow, when you know what the Lord has called you to, you can trust him to enable you to obey him and meet those responsibilities. He's able to do that, I promise you. I've seen him do it in my life. Okay, going on to 61, Luke 9, 61 through 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Uh, So here I just want to encourage you, don't let loyal relationships keep you from the work that God has for you. Does that make sense? See, sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up um, with maybe having bad boundaries. I let other people's expectations of me get ahead of God's expectations for me. And I don't want to do things that might offend family members, relatives, or coworkers, or neighbors. When I worked right here in this city, I was the air quality specialist uh, for the Southern Ute Tribe. And um, the, the program manager was not there. He'd moved on. So that position was about to open and be advertised. And there was no other person that could step into that situation. And everybody around me was saying, you're crazy to leave right now. You know, you're going to be making a lot of money. You're going to have a really secure job. It's, it's really crazy to leave. I even had family members that loved the Lord, that loved ministry, that encouraged me, don't take this step, don't do it, wait, put it off. And the reality is, is I had to follow the Lord. Uh, So I wanted to honor those loyal relationships. I don't want to be disrespectful to those people, but I really can't let them take God's place in my life. I need to step into what God's called me to, okay? So we follow him and what he's called us to. Family is important, but remember what Jesus says in Luke 14, just five chapters later. He says, if you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. See, we're called to follow him first, to honor and love those that he places around us, to respect those loyal relationships in our lives. But he has to come first. Okay, a place where this is hard for me is sharing Christ with relatives that maybe have heard it many times and they've rejected. And I know before God. I have a calling to to put the gospel and their eternity over a comfortable, non-awkward relationship, right? And sometimes it it takes taking a risk and realizing uh, I can't let their expectations guide me. I have to let the Lord guide me in these relationships. As we talk about these things, right, I want to look at Jesus' example really quickly. In Luke 9.51, this goes right back to, to right before the hard time in Samaria. It says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, right? And the word resolutely there is sterizo in the Greek, and it means to fix firmly, to solidly plant down, to set fast, to direct oneself towards, to buttress, to prop, secure, support, strengthen, to establish, and to eliminate vacillation. (laughs) It's a pretty, pretty intense word. But the reality is when Jesus did ministry, he was all in right? He was all in. He was 100% focused. He was following the Father, and nothing was going to get in his way. Needs weren't going to get in his way. Social responsibilities weren't going to get in his way. Loyal relationships weren't going to get in his way. Remember, Peter, don't go to Jerusalem. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He didn't say, oh gosh, I can't go to Jerusalem. might offend Peter. 
He knew what the, Lord, what the Father had called him to, and he was pursuing that regardless of these other things. Obviously being responsible with these things, but pursuing the Father and what the Father had called him to. So I do want to share a little bit about my story here. Uh, about 2002, so 16 years ago, I left my job as the air quality specialist here. It, it's just mind-boggling to think that's been 16 years. And my wife also worked out here at the Head Start. And uh, I loved, I always tell people that the Southern Utes were the best people I ever worked for outside of ministry. I mean, it was really special here. Just special people. We laughed harder than I've ever laughed. And we had uh, lots of great meals together, lots of great friendships. And I really enjoyed the time. And when I left, guys, it was, it was a difficult challenge to step away from financial security into a situation where we really had no guaranteed income whatsoever and to trust God to raise our support. Uh, my needs were met. I was making a, a great salary, had great benefits, and I was about to get a raise and make a lot more money, right? Uh, my needs were met. Uh, I had re- important responsibilities. The tribe was about to get Title V permitting privileges, and a lot of the work I was doing was laying the foundation for that. We, we had to have uh, solid uh, monitoring and data so that the tribe could, could uh, go ahead and launch into Title V permitting. So I had important responsibilities. And on top of that, people close to me that I respected dearly were encouraging me, just wait this out, make a little bit more money. Don't take this step into ministry quite yet. And I had to say, all those things are awesome and good and true, but I have to follow the Lord in what he's called me to. I'm going to be faithful with these things, but I'm following the Lord. Does that make sense? And he's never let us down. He's never let us down. We've never defaulted on a bill. We've never not made a mortgage payment. God has been so, so good to us. Uh, He's been very good to us. And it has nothing to do with us. It's all him. But we have to get, we can't get the cart ahead of the horse, right? We need to get Jesus in his rightful place in our lives. Follow him in every single step and let the rest of these other things straighten out. We can't let these things get between us and what he's calling us to. So the bottom line, we don't let life requirements, legitimate responsibilities, or loyal relationships sidetrack us from following his will for our lives. Uh, Bill Bright said you can't say no Lord. If he's really Lord, you can't say no to him, right? If you can say no to him, he's not Lord. And that's what I'm saying, right? If he's our Lord, we follow him first and foremost, not letting these obstacles get in our way. So right after this, we come into Luke 10, where we hear about the, the 72 being sent out. And I want to say here, get excited about the work that God has called you to. I can't imagine what, what those disciples felt as they were about to be sent out. Can you imagine? Jesus has been raising dead people, healing sick people. He's been casting out demons, multiplying loaves and fishes, and now he's sending you out. <laughs> You've got to be like... What's going to happen there? There had to have been such a sense of anticipation and excitement that God was going to do great things. I think we've lost that a lot of times today. We, we, we fear ministry and we fear taking a step of faith. And rightfully so. I think we live in a time where we've been ostracized for our faith. But at the same time, I want to encourage you afresh. Get excited about the work that God's called you to. So uh, Jesus is 70, sending out the 72. Uh, some translations are going to say 70. Some are going to say 72. Uh, We could debate that later, but uh, I think 72 is the right number. And, um, of course, wherever there are 72, there are also 70, so there's no contradiction here. And uh, Jesus sent the 72 out into into fruitful ministry. Let me just tell you who some of these people might have been. About 150 years after Christ, uh, there are a few lists of who these people were that popped up. 
And none of these lists are probably accurate. They're 150 years later, but they might have something to them. But some of these lists say that Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, was one of those 72. That's pretty cool. Some say Mark was, who wrote Mark, who was Peter's disciple later on. The same one that caused the split with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas. Some say he was one of them. And of course, they said he was there from the beginning, so that's very likely. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, uh, the, the early lists say was one of these 72. Uh, Philip, remember, sharing with the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, Barnabas, uh, Aquila, right? Some of these may have been those 72 that were sent out. Those are on the lists uh, from way back when. We'll know in heaven. But it's exciting to see that some of these people that Jesus had invested in and sent out very likely continued faithfully serving him and even giving their lives for him. Numerous people on that list became martyrs for the Lord in the first century. Uh, What I want you to get out of these next passages is, uh, let's just start with 10.1. You are called to strategic work, okay? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus is being very strategic here, and he does the exact same thing with the 12 in Matthew 10. These are two different cases, right? And they're both separate from the one that happened in Luke 9 in Samaria, where he also sent people ahead of him into Samaria. So we have three different instances where Jesus does this exact same thing, and he actually says almost the exact same words in in Matthew 9 and 10. In other words, Jesus is showing us a protocol for ministry here, and uh, he was strategic. God in human flesh was strategic. Sometimes we we over-spiritualize ministry. It has to be all... um, I don't know, not strategic. Well, that's wrong. You can simply sit down and be strategic about reaching your sphere of influence. You could make a list of neighbors that you want to have over and share the gospel with. You could make a list of coworkers that you want to buy lunch for and share the gospel with. There's no reason in the world we shouldn't be strategic, just like Jesus was here in this instance. You know, Paul was also strategic. In Acts 17, it says, as was his custom, he did this. Go ahead and read it. I've retraced Acts 17 in, uh, in Greece. Um, go ahead and read Acts 16, 17, 18, 19, some of those passages, and you'll see Paul repeating almost the same protocol in every city. He gets stoned, beat up, thrown out of town, left for dead, whipped, imprisoned. What does he do in the next city? Same exact thing. <laughs> he doesn't go, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> I'm going to be a little quieter next time. He goes right back to it. In fact, this is, this is his entire ministry, willing to face persecution, right? Willing to be uh, persecuted for the Lord and sticking to a plan of being bold in evangelism, city after city, regardless of the opposition, okay? Uh, and, you know, you guys have a protocol. You guys last year came up with a strategic plan, and we had the privilege of encouraging you in that a little bit. I want to remind you of some of the things that you came up with as a church. Uh, We need to be aligned under a common purpose. Amen. Just like in Philippi, standing as one man for the faith of the gospel. Uh, We need more prayer. I sure hope you haven't given up on that. Uh, Keep individually seeking the Lord's face. As As a church body, seeking the Lord's face. We need more discipleship. Amen. I hope that every one of you is making disciples in your daily life and taking time to help young believers grow in their faith. Uh, We need more evangelism and evangelism training. Amen. Right? Sharing the gospel boldly in our community. Uh, We need to grow our youth ministry and reach more youth. The youth are hungry, guys. The youth are hungry. I promise you that. 
We need to reach him. And we need to foster deeper fellowship and relationships. Right? Love has to epitomize the body of Christ. All those things are, are wonderful elements of a protocol for a church. They're biblical. That's how a church should operate. I encourage you to embrace those things and keep going. Okay, Luke 10.2, he told them the harvest is plentiful, right? But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send you out, or to send out workers into his harvest. Uh, so you're called the fruitful work. Just like you're called the strategic work, you're also called the fruitful work. God wants to do fruitful ministry in and through you. He wants you to experience fruit in the harvest. This is almost verbatim what he told the 12 in Matthew 9, 37 through 38, right? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. The people out there aren't the problem. It's the lack of people sharing the gospel that's the problem. Does that make sense? We, we, have, we have done the whole, um, the whole like social gospel thing for decades, and we're less liked now than ever before. Do you get the connection? For so many years we've said as a church, not this church, but the church in general, we can't share the gospel boldly. We're going to offend people. So let's, let's uh, do the nicest things we can do to show them that we care. And then maybe when they see our good lives, they'll, they'll come to believe. Okay, of course we should live such good lives that the pagans would, would see Christ in us. But we also got to share. Romans 10 is clear that they can't come to faith if they don't hear the gospel from people preaching the gospel. We've done this social gospel thing for decades, and we're least like, liked now. We're less liked now than we've ever been, I think. It's not working. People need the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. There are people that I share the gospel with that you never... There's a Satanist I'm talking to right now. I'm not kidding. He needs Jesus. He's cried while we've talked before. Um... There are people that need Jesus, but who in the world is sharing with the Satanist out there? He's not going to come here Sunday morning, but he needs somebody to go share with him. And most Christians would probably steer clear. He looks pretty different, you know? Pentagram tattooed on his face and stuff like that. He needs Jesus. Um, We have Muslim friends that we're sharing with that need Jesus. Um, You guys, I'm just telling you, people need to hear the gospel, and God's called us to fruitful work the harvest is still plentiful, and God's doing great things around the globe. And this is our time. This is our place that he's put us. And you guys, there will be that day when the Great Commission is completed. Let's, let's trust him and work towards that in his power. Okay, finally, 10-3, you are called to challenging work, right? Jesus says, go, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. <laughs> Sounds challenging, and it's true, right? It's true. There's a world out there that is going to be rough to do ministry in. And Jesus said if they hated him, they'll hate us also. I think we can embrace it. My goal is not to be liked. It's not. My goal is to share him with the world that needs a savior. And sometimes i got to just embrace it and think I might not be very liked, and that's okay. I was in South Korea in, in, the, in the Seoul airport about two weeks ago. And there was a very attractive young lady sitting next to me, and I felt very intimidated by her. <laughs> And uh, I had to just get my head right with God. I took a walk, said, God, um, I want your heart for this young lady. And uh, I'm thinking all those stupid thoughts, like she's going to think I'm hitting on her if I try to share the gospel with her. Totally lies, right? Satan just lying to me. So I go, God, fill me with your spirit, empower me. I want to go back and talk to this young lady. I come back and I talk to her. She opens up. She's like, I'm just coming back from Spain. I flew to Thailand, backpacked in Thailand. I'm flown home. She says, for the first time in my life, I went to a Bible study I got invited to in Spain. 
that's interesting. She goes, I've always been an agnostic, no experience with the church. But she's like, uh, Jesus, Jesus talked, we read about how Jesus talked to this woman at the well and how he promised her living water and how everything else would leave her thirsty, but he wouldn't. And I started thinking about my life and I thought everything I've ever done has left me wanting more. I've never been satisfied. <laughs> this is a non-Christian agnostic lady. I'm just thanking God somebody invited her to a Bible study. Uh, we got to share about the gospel. We're still in contact today. I'm just begging you guys. There are people like her, and it's a challenging environment. We're, we're like sheep among wolves, but let's step out into the wolves in the power of the Holy Spirit and let him use us. Let him teach through us, speak through us, reach out to people through us. And we just might find people that he's working on, like that precious young lady. What a privilege to be a part of what he's doing in those people's lives, right? So it's a challenging time for ministry, I give you that. And I work with a lot of young people, so probably the most challenging group. Spurgeon once was told, like, we can't do this ministry, it's so challenging, our times are so difficult. And Spurgeon said, what have you and I to do with the times except to serve our God in them? Right? If you've ever thought, well, things are too liberal, or they're too crazy, or they're too sinful, flush that down the toilet and say, what have I to do with that other than to serve my God in these times? Uh, he put us here. He could have put the Apostle Paul here, but we're here. Why are we here? Because God wanted to use us here. And that's exciting. Okay? Okay, how many of you guys like hunting? Some of you? I like hunting. And, and this, that fire is getting precariously close to some of my favorite hunting areas in the world. <laughs> so I'm, I'm praying for the town as we check the Durango Herald and Albuquerque. But I'm also praying for that beautiful hunting area back there <laughs> so anyway once we were bow hunting me and a buddy and we start hiking in the middle it was about like i don't know 4 30 in the morning or something it was dark and we have headlamps on and uh, we hear we hear some crashing around in the woods and so we do a little cow call just for fun and uh this cow elk just runs up and she's looking i could have touched her nose she's just stuck in the lights right here if ever there was a time I was tempted to unethically shoot an animal in the middle of the night, <laughs> the temptation was there. We're like, no, this is illegal. You can't shoot this poor elk. <laughs> and so, but she's just right there looking us in the eyes. Have you guys ever seen that? Like where it's uh, like a deer in the headlights, you know, the expression? Well, what happens with a deer is uh, their, their eyes are so attuned to the dark, right? Their pupils are fully dilated that whenever a bright light shines, they can't see anything. They're blind, right? Because the light just floods them out. And so they just stick there, not because they're dumb, but because they can't see anything, right? Uh, it, it's, a, it's practically what happens to a lot of us. We're in a, in, a, in a world where there's such darkness all around us. Does that make sense? And I think we're almost like that deer in the headlight, except we're a, a Christian in the darkness. And we're just sitting here almost like, like a deer in the headlights. We don't know what to do, right? And we see things going around us and we, we don't even know how to respond. I want to encourage you to snap out of it. There are good things happening around us. There are things in society where God is, 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 is peaking an interest in himself. Did you guys hear what Chris Pratt said last week? Most of you probably heard this, right? This is one of the most famous actors alive today getting an award at an MTV thing. Okay, I would have thought... There's not going to be anything close to the gospel coming out of this guy's mouth here. Let me read you what he said in pieces. You have a soul. Be careful with it. God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. He said, learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. 
Grace is a gift. Like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget that. Don't take that for granted. (laughs) That's pretty cool, right? And you know what's exciting, though? That reminds me. If he can do that at an MTV award, I can share with my neighbor. Does that make sense? I can take a little step of faith and realize that even though it's a, a very challenging climate, I can trust God to use me in it. Okay, so follow him in strategic, fruitful, and challenging work. Okay, finally, 10, 3 through 7, get to work doing what God has called you to. In 10, 3, Jesus says, go, right? So let's be proactive in joining him in what he's doing. Uh, 10, 4, he says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. He's saying stay absolutely focused. Does that make sense? Do the mission. (laughs) Don't get distracted from the mission. I can get distracted by a million other things. Jesus is saying, stay focused, right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, our eyes are on him alone, and he's the one we're following. Let's stay focused on him and all he's called us to. Uh, Let's stay diligent. That's the next thing, 10, 5 through 7. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, Whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Stay diligent, right? Keep about the work that he's called you to, he's telling them. Stay focused and stay diligent with it. And then he goes on and says, stay committed. It's that last part of of the passage there, verse 7. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Again, these are principles for the 72, but I think they apply to us. And we need to stay committed in the ministry that he's called us to. We need to stay focused on him. We need to stay diligent in what he's called us to. And we need to stay committed. We're not wavering. Just like Jesus was resolute, we are resolute in what he's called us to. So I kind of want to give you kind of a, a, a parting illustration as I, as I start to wrap this thing up. Many athletes, they say, put in more than 10,000 hours of practice before they ever even reach the Olympics. Isn't that crazy? My two daughters here are gymnasts. And they like Simone Biles quite a bit. Right? They're reading one of her books right now. She practices about 32 hours a week, she says. Okay? Michael Phelps, another Olympic swimmer, swims about 32 plus hours a week. That's not even including all of his training outside of the water, weight training, running, things like that. We're talking lots of commitment, lots of diligence, lots of focus here. And a lot of this reminds me of 1 Corinthians 9:24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Uh, Paul was talking to the Corinthians who were familiar with the Corinthian version of the Olympic Games. These were the Isthmian Games. And people would come from all the Greek city-states to compete in the Isthmian, Isthmian Games. It's a tongue twister. And uh, they would go into a whole year of training before the Games. Okay. And in that year of training, they had complete abstinence. They didn't eat anything except extremely healthy foods. They exercised all day. It was nothing but focused, diligent, committed training for an entire year. And at the end of the year, they competed. And whoever won, won a wreath woven from the evergreen um, branches uh, there in, in, in Corinth. And this, this was a perishable wreath. And Paul talks about they do it for a perishable crown. That's what he's talking about. He goes, we do it for an imperishable one, right? They would take that perishable wreath. They would go back to their city because every Greek city-state had its own idol, its own god, right? They, they all had their own deity, their fake god. 
they would take it back to theirs and lay that wreath at that idol as like a presentation to their city god, right? They did what they did. They were committed the way they were committed so that they could honor their false god. And Paul is making this connection. When we run, we run diligently for the real Lord, for the real God, right? And for a crown that doesn't perish. So as we look at this, this kind of illustration of commitment in athletics, I want to share Paul's uh, actual admonition with you that he gave to the Corinthians. Let's have that same attitude in the ministry and in the strategic work that he's called us to, okay? So application. Uh, we've been tasked with the Great Commission. All of us have. If you've trusted Jesus, you've been called to make disciples. Uh, that, that's an application all of us have been called to. And uh, you've been given everything that you need for it, it says in 2 Peter 1.3. So there are no excuses, really. You have uh, God's word, which gives you everything you need for life and godliness. You have the Holy Spirit in you, the very power of God empowering you for all that he calls you to. Uh, so we really have all that we need. And um, the most important thing, though, is where are we at with the Lord? Uh, in this passage, Jesus says all these things. As he's standing with these people, his followers are standing with him and walking with him as they're getting these commands from him. Do you, you see what I'm saying? In John 15, 5, Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. But he says in him, he's going to produce much fruit through us as we abide in him. So as, as we come to this application point, if you feel like you've been striking out in life, in ministry, uh, I just want to encourage you. Don't just try harder not to strike out. <laughs> when I did that, I, I would strike out again every single time. Um, if you feel like you've been striking out, take what I've said, think about it, apply it, but do it with the Lord. Come near to him. Ask him to change your heart, to give you his heart for the lost. Ask him to work in your life. Ask him to refresh you in your walk with him. And as you connect with him, I believe he is going to work through you in a very special new way. Okay? I really believe that with all my heart. So my application today is not to go do what I just told you to do. <laughs> it's to do the foundation for all this stuff. It's to connect deeply with the Lord and then keep your eyes on him, allowing him to do this stuff through you. Does that make sense? Um, church, you guys are in a very important place at an, a very important time. You really are. And uh, don't ever think of yourselves as Ignacio. Who cares about Ignacio? In Acts 17, we're told very clearly that God determines the times and the places that we should live, that people would find him. So it's no accident that you're here. I, I really want to encourage you to get rid of the obstacles that, he, that, that stand in the way of, of what he's called you to, to get excited about the work that he has for you, and to get to work doing what he's called you to, but to do all of that in intimacy with him, in closeness with him. Because apart from that, you don't stand a chance. But when you're there, when you're connecting with him, you can't lose. And someday you'll stand before him and you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And that'll make every sacrifice today well worth it.